Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're the fret and full of fret. It's summer 1989. The Budweiser Superfest tour is over. And Teddy Riley is back in New York, sitting in the top floor apartment of a downtown tenement building. He's decked out in a rhinestone bedazzled white leather jacket and gold chain. And he's surrounded by dozens of people dancing their asses off. Boys and girls in day-glow outfits dancing out on the balcony, on the rooftop, on the fire escape. And cut. That was great. It's a music video shoot. For the first act Teddy signed to GR Productions' new record label, it's a group that includes rapper and producer Markel Riley, Teddy's little brother. My brother, you know, he was into everything. I can remember him blowing his hand up with an M80 and splitting his thumb, you know, one way to another. And I fight for my brother. As Teddy watches his little brother and the rest of the group dance through the crowd, it's kind of a full circle moment for Teddy. Timmy Gatling had helped keep the younger Teddy away from the temptations of the streets. Now Teddy's doing the same for Markel. You know, we, you know, you're gonna do this. You're gonna write some poems and put it to the music and you're gonna become a rapper. So I kind of did the same thing for my little brother Markel, you know, was kind of grab him before he got in trouble, you know. Now it's about to pay off because Markel's group, Rex in Effect, is about to blow up. And their first single, well, let's just say it's going to become an anthem. Markel's not the only one Teddy's raised up. Crammed into this apartment are a bunch of other musicians who can chalk up their success, at least in part, to Teddy. They're all there to shoot cameos in the video and in a way, to celebrate their shared success. Al B. Shore is in the house in a satin black and gold jacket, plus a cap emblazoned with the Batman logo. Heavy D's here too, wearing a big gray suit. And over in the corner, Cool Mo D wearing his trademark wraparound sunglasses indoors. It was like a family reunion that we never got to have because, you know, we're all fans of each other as artists. And, um, you know, to be able to see um, Albie Shore and you know, everybody, that that was, to me, almost like a coming home. You know, a capstone on the equation that these are the people that Teddy produced. This is what New Jack has done. And this is absolutely a coronation. Midway through the song, Teddy does a guest rap. Basically, one long shout out to all the acts in the room, all the big names he's worked with, and his own production company. All my beats are very hype. Yes, GR is moving it right. right. I got key sweat. Heavy D today. Modi, Leeshaw, and my man Bobby Brown. I got Sandman, Redhead, Boy George, James A, Deja, and my homeboys Guy. And you got to get that. As he raps, Teddy's sitting at a craps table his guy bandmate, Aaron Hall, next to him. At one point, the camera pans real quick across the table to a man with a bald head, dark mustache, and thick-rimmed glasses. Yep, Gene Griffin's here too. On camera, for Teddy, for Gene, everything looks like it's humming along. The GR family's all there together, celebrating themselves and one another. But in real life, Teddy's already eyeing the exits. I don't like I don't like negative. His relationship with Marsha is over. His relationship with Gene is hanging by a thread. Even with his fellow band members and Guy, Teddy starts to wonder, what would they all do if I was just gone? I'm like that little kid, you know, when my mom and dad used to fight, you know, I would just go away and, and not come back. They would miss me. <laughs> I'm serious. I would go away and not come back. You know that is true. You can call me crazy. 
Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, I'm Taraji P. Henson, and this is Jack. This is the sixth and final episode of Jack. It ain't over. Late 1989, GR Productions' all-girl vocal group Abstract is on tour, and their lead singer, Marsha McClurkin, is having a blast. Oh, man. What am I going to do? I just can't get him off the There was a song called Buggin' Over You. I like this song because there's a dissonant note that's in there kind of sounds like a modern-day Bruno Mars song. So it's like, you got me bugging over you. You got me bugging over you. That's that note. You got me bugging over you. This is the first tour that Marsh has been on since she went on the ill-fated Budweiser Superfest tour earlier in the year. Back then... She had been the only woman in the entourage, which had been hard. This time, she's got her two female bandmates to share it with. So it it was refreshing to have someone, you know, that you can either sit in the room and have a meal with or just, you know, do some other girl things as opposed to having all of these guys running around half naked and... (laughs) But back in New York at GR headquarters, something's going on. It was... It was a very scary time. It really was. That reaches all the way to the ladies in abstract. Out on the road, I started to, like, just not feel safe. It was was just weird. Thanks to a call from Gene Griffin about Teddy. He tells her Teddy is gone, that he can't find him anywhere in Atlanta. Gene wants to know if Marsha's heard anything. I just felt a tad bit bullied. He was saying some negative, very negative things about Teddy, and he felt like, you know, he kept saying, you know, your boy this and blah, 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 blah. And I think at that time he was trying to find out where he was located, and I guess he assumed I knew where he was. Marsha doesn't know. She and Teddy split up a few months back, but Gene sounds desperate to find Teddy. So like I said, I I started not to feel safe only because I knew he couldn't, he didn't know where Teddy was, but he knew where I was. The vibe she gets is scary enough that she and her bandmate Mary start a kind of buddy system. Mary and I made a pact and we started to make sure that each one, like we made sure that one of us was in the other person's room at all times. Like we started traveling like in packs. Finally, during a break in the tour, Marsha's home for a bit. She's moved out to New Jersey, and her aunt's place is just a half an hour drive away, a place she sometimes go when she needs to escape. She's over there one day, picking up some old stuff from the basement, when it's for her. But this time, Teddy's calling. He knew, like, where I would go, like, when I wanted to lay low, so he, he called there, and I happened to have been there. Teddy's at LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And when I went to New York, I went to go release everybody from their contracts. I gave everybody releases. 
all the GRX that I, I'm responsible for signing, I got them releases. Releases for the groups he signed to GR Productions. Rex and Effects singer Tammy Lucas, he's planning a split from Gene. And he doesn't want these groups stuck at GR Productions without him. Now, Teddy tells Marsha that Gene's figured out what he's up to, and he's retaliating. When Teddy went to the airport to fly back to Atlanta, the GR Productions card declined, and I tried the other GR Production card, and then I tried the other GR Production card. No card worked from GR Production because he had basically uh, somebody infiltrated. And still to this day, I don't know who it is, but someone infiltrated and called Gene, and that's what made Gene call the bank right away and cut off the cards. Teddy Riley, one of the biggest music producers in the world, can't buy a plane ticket home. He's stuck at the airport, and Lord knows what Gene's going to do next. Teddy is in a panic. And he was like, well, I don't know. I, You know, I got my whole family, and... And I, I need to move. I need to move now. I, I got to make some moves. You know, I, I feel like I'm in danger. And I'm like, well, you have enough to do what you need to do. Do you still have that card I gave you? The credit card. The one Marsha gave him months ago. The one he made fun of because it wasn't gold. Just boring old platinum. It was still in my bag. I was a hoarder of business cards and all of my old debit or credit cards. And I was the only credit card, the first credit card that I ever got was Marsha. He goes, well, didn't you cancel it? I said, no, I didn't cancel it. And he's like, well, can I still use it? And I was like, yeah, you can still use it. I said, but you just better make sure you pay me every dime back. Almost as soon as Teddy hits the ground in Atlanta, he and his mom start preparing for a move back to New York. My mom said, well, we need to leave this house and we go back and regroup. So my mom putting together plans and everything. And for a showdown with Gene. She's like, we need to put together a plan. We're going to get with him tonight. And I said, okay. They ask Gene over to their house outside Atlanta. He comes in, sits down. Teddy and Mrs. Riley do too. We told him we don't want to be in business with him anymore. And we're departing from here. And I'm going. Gene tries to convince them he'll change and all the things he'll do differently. You know, I can make sure you have your own money and I'll do this and I'll do that. And we were like, Gene, there's nothing that you can do now. There's nothing you can say. I'm tired of this. I can't do this anymore. And he was kind of had tears and okay. And he left. And just like that, GR Productions, the Griffin and Riley partnership is over. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Hey, this is Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, where twice a week I speak to meditation teachers, top research scientists, and even the odd celebrity about how to do life better. And on a recent episode, I spoke to the huge global pop star Dua Lipa, about how she does her own life. What are the non-negotiable practices and principles for her? We talked about everything from radical optimism to her work ethic to her incredibly packed schedule and how she fits in things like meditation. The episode is uh, incredible and actually quite practical, especially when it comes to creativity. 
Follow 10% Happier on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to this episode everywhere on May 10th, or you can listen early and ad-free on Wondery Plus right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. In December 1989, just before Christmas, and just after Teddy Riley parted ways with Gene, now he and his mom are coming back home. I wound up moving back to 225 West 129th Street, apartment 1F. The St. Nick Projects in Harlem. (laughs) After all that success, Teddy's come back where he started, in the apartment where he used to collect all those instruments and record singers' vocals in the bathroom. It was uh, humbling. It was humbling because when you come from And where I came from, which is St. Nick Projects, the hood, the ghetto, we learned to appreciate everything before us. So if we have to go back, we go back. He's here for his mom's sake. She has nowhere else to live. But he made her a promise. Because I said to mom, you're not moving back to the projects unless I move with you. And that's been my saying all the time. If I have to go back, I can go back. Because I lived it. I survived it and I lived it. So I know how to go and live it again if I have to. And that was my whole mindset. Teddy looks around the living room where he, Timmy Gatling, and Aaron Hall recorded the first guy songs. That was only two years ago. But it feels like a lifetime. Back then, they were just kids with a dream. Now, they're superstars. The sound they created right here in this living room is all over the radio. And Teddy, he may be back in the projects, but for the first time, he can picture a different kind of life for himself. One where he isn't constantly looking over his shoulder. I was just tired of doing that. When I seen like my friends like Heavy and them have a great life and didn't have to deal with the gangsters and you know, the Gene Griffins, you know, of the world. And that life is coming. When word gets out in the music business that Teddy has split from Gene, his phone starts ringing off the hook. Everything just evolved into Teddy's doing this, Teddy's doing that. I was just so motivated and inspired by everything that happened after leaving Gene. You know, it was the point of me meeting people that wasn't gangsters. For example, Teddy's watching MTV one day. I was looking at the Jane Child video on Yo MTV, wishing I could work on this song. I was like, this song is so incredible. And next thing you know, I get the call. Benny Medina said, I want you to do a remix for me. That's Benny Medina, the legendary Motown executive who's now head of urban music for Warner. And I said, okay. He said, I'm going to send this song over to you. It was that same song. Don't want to fall in love, Jane Chow. And with the money from that remix, Teddy and his mom are out of the projects and out to the Long Island suburbs. We went back for that minute and then we want to move into greatness. Teddy, Aaron, and Damien get to work on the Next Guy album. Working title, The Future. The tension in Teddy's life hasn't just been with Gene. He still feels resentments from Aaron and Damien Hall about the credit Teddy's been getting as his career's taken off. But they put all that behind them when they're in the studio. They can still make magic together. More than that, they can still have fun. Like between takes during an interview for a promotional video. I thought you were starting with me, right? Yeah. Okay. He had the mic right, and I'm like, oh. all right, okay. Still rolling? Okay. Well, as, as Damien said, you know, a fan, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. We had a ball doing that future record. And no one's having more of a ball than Damien Crazy Legs Hall. After all, he didn't get to be a part of the making of Guy's first album. Your crazy legs, drop it. Thought you loved me, but you didn't. 
And there's one thing they can all agree on. Getting rid of Jean was the right move. Check it out. Total control. At first it's just a dream. Cause Mr. Manager's making you sing. On a track called Total Control, Teddy brings in Rex in effect to deliver a rap about a greedy manager getting served. It doesn't mention Gene by name. Let him have it. Rip him the shreds. Groups are gone. Shiny bald head turned red. But it doesn't have to. To replace Gene, Teddy's hired a new manager, a character named Harvey Austin. Yeah, he talks like Wolfman Jack. We gonna do the show. We gonna have a great time. And I, I already know what your plan is. So I'm gonna have everything ready. Gene just disappeared and Harvey Austin came in. So... Whatever happened to Gene or whatever, wherever Gene went, I never asked, I never thought about it. It just, it was a, a transition. Then, a note of tragedy creeps into the sessions. Rex and Effects member Brandon Mitchell gets killed. Brandon was like Teddy's brother, and it was like his brother. It wasn't his blood brother, but you might as well say that. Teddy doesn't say much to the others about Brandon's death. Instead, he goes into the studio and adds a new song to the future. This is a dedication in memory of our family and friends. Al Davis. A ballad he decides to sing himself called Long Gone. Big Anthony B. T-Roy from Heavy D and the Boys. Sammy Davis Jr. Sarah Vaughn. My little brother, Brandon Mitchell, from Rex and Effect. My grandmother and my grandfather. Sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy. Life seems so short and then you're gone. Teddy's always the quiet one. But it's clear from this song that all the loss around him, it's taken a toll. I just saw him become more reclusive for the most part. Cool Moldy. It gets to a point where if you're around that environment but so long, it's not long before you see the nowhere and the energy. It's like, what are we doing? You know, the fact that people are dying, unfortunately, with really no cause in many cases, you start to really look at life a little different. In November 1990, Guy's second album, The Future, comes out. They appear on Soul Train. Aaron Hall introduces Teddy's Jam 2. Well, there's a whole lot of people that um, that didn't recognize Teddy on the album, so so I'm doing that as like an ode to Teddy, you know what I mean? I'm telling the people what he has done, what his music has done to, for the people and to the people. So I'm just trying to like hype him up a little more. Then maybe next time I get a... Aaron Jam 1. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys later in the show right now. Let's do Teddy's Jam, okay? Okay. Guy, ladies and gentlemen. Are y'all ready for the jam? I said, are y'all ready for the jam? Yo, G, kick it. Within three months, the future goes platinum. Guy hits the road for a headlining tour. To the outside world, it seems like things are going great for the group. But Teddy's feeling things change. Because it started getting territorial with who handles what. So Aaron handles the singers. Damien handles the dancers. I handle all the music. So I gave them that. Teddy moves down to Virginia Beach. With the advance from a big MCA record deal, money he now controls... He begins construction on a state-of-the-art recording studio for his new record label. He calls it Future Records. Then, Teddy gets an offer he cannot resist. None other than Michael Jackson reaches out to Teddy. Michael's working on his next album, Dangerous. And even he's interested in getting that Teddy Riley sound on his next album. Teddy grew up on the Jackson 5, and right now, Michael Jackson is the biggest pop star on the planet. Michael wants to meet Teddy at his ranch in California right away. But there's a problem. Teddy's in the middle of his tour with Guy. 
He doesn't say anything to Aaron or Damien. Because in that moment, Teddy sees it as a choice. I just, so many things was coming in my head. You're going to lose the Michael Jackson project. You have the opportunity of working with Michael. You don't have the job yet, but you have the opportunity to speak to him at least. So after speaking to Michael Jackson, that was the nail in the coffin. In the end, the choice is clear. All the odds was against Guy. And my heart just was pouring out. You can't do, you got to leave Guy. You got to leave Guy. Teddy tells Michael, I'm in. Then he goes straight to a car dealership on 11th Avenue. And I bought myself brand new black hardtop Ferrari. I just went one morning and just said, I'm working with Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I walked in there with dignity and everything and I bought it. I actually bought it. I didn't lease it. I bought it. I just said, I want to do something for myself and there's no more gene. So it's like, I could do this. And I did it. In June 1991, Guy's in New York for the biggest show of the tour, the Paramount Theater at Madison Square Garden, performing for a hometown crowd of 5,000. Teddy pulls into the parking garage in his new Ferrari, dressed to the nines, feeling like a boss. Backstage, he makes his way to his private dressing room. And I had my brother and my sister prepare that room because I didn't want to be in the same room as Aaron and Damien. So I asked for a separate dressing room, separate everything. Teddy suits up for the show, checks himself in the mirror, takes a deep breath, and then... <sighs> it's showtime. For Teddy, the show passes in a blur. The songs are all muscle memory by now. The part he says he remembers best is when they turn on the house lights, illuminating the audience. And all of my friends from everywhere, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, everybody that I've ever crossed paths with, the people who rooted for you, like when you didn't make it, it's like, you're gonna make it. These were the people who had Madison Square Garden. And then it's the end of the show. Teddy steps to the mic looks out at all those friendly faces cheering him on and speaks. I announce my resignation from Guy. People were sad. People were, you know, just not happy about it. I told them the reason why. And when I told them at the end, the last thing I said, I'm not only doing this because of what's going on and we lost our, our good friend and everybody know him as Anthony B. It was like, oh, yo, he have a reason. Like people on the side, like, I feel you. I feel you. And I kept going with it. And I said, but here's something even bigger for you guys to understand that my life is going to another direction. And um, I'm on my way to California to work with the man, the greatest entertainer of all times, Michael Jackson. <sighs> Everybody went, whoa! <laughs> and then I said, but I, I just want to let y'all know I represent for y'all. I represent for my people of New York. I represent for the country. I represent for just our black people, you know? and. And I got to continue to shine because, you know, not everybody have the same journey or the same dream or the same thoughts and the same direction. Then with that, Teddy leaves the stage. I went straight to my dressing room and put on my, my, my clothes to leave. They never even seen me. Nobody seen me. And he ducks out a secret backstage exit. Damien remembers Teddy vanishing after the show. But as for the rest of it... He did not make no announcement. No, he did not. In fact, he says he and Aaron aren't even sure why Teddy's taking off so quick until they get back to their dressing room. 
we got a me and Aaron got a manila envelope and in the manila envelope there was a letter that Harvey Austin had wrote that Teddy signed saying that he don't want to be in the group no more. I was like, huh? Where the hell did that come from? And that's how that happened. But Teddy says the manila envelope never happened. My manager was with me and he got in his car, Harvey Austin, got in his car and met me at the studio. We started laughing about it. He ain't give no letter to nobody. What nobody denies is that after the gig, Teddy just left. And to this day, Teddy makes no apologies. It was my only option. I just felt like Guy then was a detour. And I gotta get back on the road. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. By 1991, the band known as Guy may be finished, but the music movement they helped spawn is now everywhere. The movie New Jack City sets the story of a Harlem gangster played by Wesley Snipes to a stacked New Jack soundtrack that includes songs from Guy, Keith Sweat, Johnny Gill, and Color Me Bad. Barry Michael Cooper, the man who gave New Jack Swing its name, wrote the screenplay. Times like these, people want to get high. Real high and real fast. And on the radio, Damien Hall remembers everyone is biting Guy's style. They emulated and tried to change some of their songs up so they can be in the mix, because without that, they would have been crushed. So you had to come out sounding like a Teddy Groove. You had to sound like trying to do a riff like Aaron. And for sure, in the summer of 1991, you could not turn on the radio without hearing the New Jack sound with groups putting their own spin on it. You got Boys to Men. Another Bad Creation. Jodeci. And that's just scratching the surface. The most popular New Jack act at this time is made up of some familiar faces. And you probably recognize their most famous song. That girl is Belle Bib DeVoe includes three former members from New Edition. Ricky Bell, Michael Bivens, and Ronnie DeVoe. On their debut album, a whole host of producers put their stamp on the era. Teddy Riley didn't work on BBD's first album, but there's another co-founder of Guy who did have a hand in it, Timmy Gatling. Timmy and his partner, Alton Wokey Stewart were the first producers brought in to work with the new trio. They were scared of because you gotta remember, these guys was the three guys that really basically were the background singers. So we basically had to damn near redesign Ricky vocals to make him a strong singer, because didn't nobody know Ricky Bell for being a singer. Now you know. Timmy didn't produce the smash hit track Poison, but he and Wokey did contribute two of the album's ballads, including a top five R&B hit. 
And vocally, if anyone knows how to put together a New Jack Swing trio, it's Timmy Gatling. With Timmy and a whole bunch of other producers, Belle Bib DeVoe goes on to sell over 4 million copies of their debut album, bigger than either Guy album. And it, was, it turned out to be phenomenal. During this period of New Jack's hype, Timmy Gatling finds the success he never got to enjoy with Guy. He writes songs for Keith Sweat, Ralph Tresvant, Christopher Williams, and Stephanie Mills. Plus, he's got his own solo career going. But not everyone gets their due. I mean, we had the potential to to actually do, to be really big. We were amazing live. We gave a good show. It just, I guess, just wasn't meant to be. By 1991, Marsha McClurkin's group Abstract is no more. We just quit, Mary and I. It was the way that we thought, the most efficient way that we could get out of our contract with Gene. After that, Mary and I, we actually stuck together and we ended up doing another album called Eminem. Eminem, Marsha and Mary released an album called Get to Know You Better in 1992. And then we had another round with management and a whole bunch of other drama that came on. So it was like it never really got off the ground. And after that, I just decided that I had had enough and I just wanted you know, I was ready to really settle down and do something different. Marsha eventually gives up singing as a career. She moves back down to South Carolina. Today, she works in broadcasting. And on the side, she still sings. You send me someone who really loves me And not just my body I know it couldn't have happened without you Down in Virginia Beach, Teddy produces an iconic hip-hop track with his little brother's group Rex and Effect. That's right, Rump Shaker. This was the beginning of twerking, guys. No swing beats here and no introduction necessary. The author of that verse, by the way, a 19-year-old Virginia Beach native who becomes a protege of Teddy's. That's right, none other than Pharrell Williams. A year later, Teddy comes out with a new group called Blackstreet. And once again, he switches up his sound. Their biggest hit, No Diggity, flips a Bill Withers sample into a slow, swampy bump and grind. It's blues, it's soul, it's gospel, it's hip-hop, it's Teddy. Still moving this flavor with the homies Blackstreet and Teddy, the original rough shakers. Shutting down, good Lord, baby got them open all over town. Around the same time, No Diggity is climbing the charts. Gene Griffin is in his driveway in Atlanta, washing his Range Rover. He's been living in Atlanta for six or seven years now, and he's pushing 58. Helping him wash his car is his nephew, George McDonald. George moved in with his uncle a few months earlier, and Gene's making the kid earn his keep. So if I was sitting around the house watching TV or not doing something, he'd be like, hey man, go grab a bucket and some rags. And I knew what that was. We're getting ready to go out here and wash the cars. When he first started living with Gene, George hated this chore. Now he's grown to love it. Because while they're soaping and scrubbing, Gene likes to tell stories. You know, New Jack Swing era stories and stories about people in the industry. And when he jumped on Andre Harrell, <laughs> that one stands out the most. But today, 
Gene's telling him a different story. Like I say, we were we were washing the car, you know, and just, and I can't remember how we got on the topic, but, you know, New Edition came up. New Edition and Guy, the Superfest tour, like everyone, George remembers the headlines. Now, he asks his uncle, what really happened? Who ordered the attack on New Edition's crew? He told me he did. He did that. He told him to go, you know, go over there and lay them down. But if you're going to, and the term he used was go over there and lay them down. But if you're going to lay them down, make sure they don't get up. But now, all these years later, Gene regrets what happened. Especially that the scuffle ended up costing Anthony B. his young life. He said that kid didn't have to die. He said, I'm real, I was real sorry that that kid got killed. Hearing his uncle's stories from those years, George feels like maybe Gene was misunderstood. I think my uncle got a really raw deal. See, he took the time to teach me as somebody who, as he would say, turned the lights on and off. He said, you can either be the man in the light or you can be the man turning the lights on and off. And when you're the person that turns the lights on and off, you got to keep the lights on. You got to do all these other things. And artists, all they got to do is show up and be who they are. But they, you know, and they get all the glory. But not understanding that there are palms to be greased, there are fees to be paid, there are all these different things that have to happen. Gene would keep trying to get back into the music game. He starts a new label in Atlanta and signs a few local hip-hop acts. But he never does recapture the magic of those early days. I remember he called me one day. Years later, in 2004, George gets a call from his uncle. He wanted to drive down to Columbus, and he wanted me to ride with him. Gene has family in Columbus, Georgia. It's near where he grew up in Alabama, just over the state line. Gazing out the window from the passenger seat, they watch the city give way to the tree-lined highway, then the country. Gene was actually born and was raised in Phoenix City, Alabama, in an area of Phoenix City called Poplar Springs. It's a black area. But, you know, the Klan, my grandmother would tell me stories about when the Klan would come and meet. They would park the cars all in their yards and stuff and go over there. They'd have on their sheets and stuff and and have their meetings on the hill and burn crosses. And that area is actually called Ku Klux Hill. With violent racism and segregation all around, George always heard the family lore that no one in town was tougher than the Griffins. You want to know who the real gangster in the family was? It was my grandmother. My grandmother's who taught me how to use a gun. She's the one that told me, oh yeah, you know, you gotta, you know, if you ever have to pull a gun on somebody, you empty it. Center mass. She's the one that said you'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. She said, dead men tell no tales. Just no nonsense didn't take, wasn't taking it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm sure that that trickled down to Gene. As George and Gene drive through the South, Gene's now 66 years old, still a big man, still strong. Even after a triple bypass in 2000, only the gray in his mustache shows his age. But George realizes his mind is going. And on the way down to Columbus, I remember he asked me to call somebody. He said he handed me his phone and asked me, he's like, yeah, call um, so-and-so on my phone and let him know we're on the way. And between Atlanta and Columbus, he asked me to do that five times. Each time, not realizing that he had already told me to do it. And I was like, I, I, I did. I was like, I already did. I, I just did. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That's when it became evident that he had Alzheimer's because I had seen it with my grandmother, so I knew what that looked like. For the next five years, Gene's condition gets worse. Oh, it killed me. You know, um... <sighs> Alzheimer's haven't dealt with it twice. 
it's it's a powerless disease. It takes away all the power that you have. To see a strong man like Jean taken down by it, it's hard to watch. But it offers an opening for reconciliation and reconnecting. In Jean's final years, Damien Hall visits him at an assisted living facility and catches him in a lucid moment. I mean, I would never talk about my conversation, bro. <laughs> That's between me and Gene. But I can say this, that I forgave him. He told me that he always knew I was smart and that he wished he had done things a little differently with us. And that's about as far as I'll, I'll go with it. By the time Teddy visits him, Gene can no longer communicate with words. So Teddy reaches him another way. A few days before he passed, I did a whole guys show and performance in front of him to see if he would remember. I just want to dance like you. I did all the songs that I sang, and then I did Teddy's Jam, and uh, he sat right there. Oh, he was bopping his head. I, I was like, he was bopping his head and really like pointing his finger because he loves to point his finger like this. And he was pointing his finger, and that's when I knew he was he was with me with that performance. On December 9th, 2018, Teddy headlines a special night at the Apollo Theater. It's called Kings and Queens of New Jack Swing. And he was so excited because he was coming home. Back to the blocks in Harlem, where it all began. Back to the theater where Gladys Knight first pulled Teddy onto the stage. And Guy had their first big show that put them on the map. Cool Modi is there and a lot of other special guests. You got myself and Dougie Fresh and all of the people that came from Harlem, uh, Keith Sweat, and you know, he takes that real seriously because coming home for him actually meant more to him than people would know. Getting the key to the city and having a ceremony right in front of the Apollo was amazing. At the same time, being back in the Apollo and being able to tell my story one of the highlights of the night, a guy reunion. Teddy, Damien, and Aaron on stage together again. During Groove Me, Teddy and Damien crazy legs bust some dance moves together. And in that moment, years of conflict just disappeared. It's all about the music. Guy as a trio. Me, Teddy, and Aaron, when we are on our trueness, nobody can beat us off that stage. Impossible. The sound they created, it's still popping. I think the legacy of this music was that it was fun. This was a time when people went to the clubs and they danced. During that time, when you went into the club, I mean, you felt it when you came out because you were sweaty and, you know, drenched in, like, you know, just, I don't know. It, it was a time when people danced to the music. They still do. Just ask Gene's nephew, George. He's now a radio DJ who goes by the name G Smooth. You can hear him every weeknight on K92.7 in Columbus, Georgia, playing throwback R&B and hip-hop. On my show, I play it all. Like, I play Guy, I also play uh, Rex and Effect, The New Jack Swing, Rump Shaker, you know, Johnny Kemp just got paid. That's big on Fridays, <laughs> you know. And when you listen close, you can still hear that New Jack sound all over music.
This time not over. Party's not over. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is episode six of six of Jacked. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to binge ad-free. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at Wondery.com survey. Jacked is hosted and produced by me, Taraji P. Henson. Andy Herman and Rico Galliano wrote and produced this story. Consulting creative producer is Timmy Gatling. Associate producer is Melissa Duenez. Fact-checking by Sarah McClure. Consulting producer is Barry Michael Cooper. Managing producer is Lutha Pandya. Music supervisors are Justin Feldman, Jonathan Christensen, and Dante Buchanan for Hit the Ground Running. Music supervision and sound design by Marcelino Villapando. Sound design and mixing by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced by Barrick Moffitt and Daniel Seliger for UMG. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wandering. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.